Hey guys, it's Bradley with the Insurance Guys Podcast. You know, over the past year that we've been recording this podcast, Scott and I have met some amazing individuals and received some amazing advice. So we decided to do something for our audience that may or may not be able to listen to every single episode. We put together a white paper slash ebook of the top seven things that you must do in your agency in 2018 and 2019. We're giving this to you guys free as of right now. You can text the word book. B-O-O-K to 251-418-4724. Follow the prompts and you will promptly receive that book. Or you can email me at bradley at sarahlandinsurance.com. That's not going to be automated like the text, but you can receive it that way as well. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast hosted by yours truly, Scott Howell and the incomparable Bradley Flowers. For agents, by agents, we're here to share real-life experiences, tips, and insights related to all aspects of both being an insurance agent and running a successful agency. So sit back, turn up the volume, and let's get down to business. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast. I am your fearless leader and host, Mr. Scott Howell, with I Protect Insurance and Financial Services based out of Huntsville, Alabama. Before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome. He is a six foot three sophomore from Sarah Land, Alabama, parade first team All American, rivals five star recruit. He is the guest speaker at Vayner Media's Agent 2021 Conference in Miami, Florida. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Please put your hands together. Stand and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? It just gets better and better and better. <laughs> Man, I, I am excited to be here today, guys. I'm in Mobile, Alabama for this podcast today, and I am fired up about this next guest that we're having on the podcast. Let me go ahead and talk a little bit about our mission on this podcast. Our mission on this podcast is to do one thing and one thing only. And that is to help insurance agents around the world. I didn't say the U.S. I didn't say the Southeast. I said around the world to help them in any way that we can. Marketing, sales, digital, videos, hiring, firing, and here comes the big finish, starting a scratch agency. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that with our guests. So before we get started, I am more than excited. I am humbled. I am blessed to have with me. She is from originally from Boston, Massachusetts. She currently lives in Tucson, Arizona. She is the owner of Integrity Insurance Services. She has 13 years of experience in the insurance business. She has found her passion in the entrepreneurship of being a constant creative agency owner, and she is known in the insurance space for her bold blogs about the crazy behind what it looks like to be a female agency owner. I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth, but she is also also an, a mother of four kids. You heard it right, guys. I don't know how she does it, but she does. Hopefully we can talk about that today. I just finished reading a blog that she did on agencynation.com and I got so fired up I started form tackling brick walls. Uh, she is the pioneer of integrity and heels. She is just a fantastic human being person and she has a great passion for watching agency owners have that I'm going to own this moment. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome from Tucson, Arizona, the other incomparable Miss Erin Nutting. How are you, Erin? I'm so good. You did not leave me disappointed by any means <laughs> by that introduction. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. I am blessed and humbled to have you on this show today. 
I love having people on here that are the underdogs because that's exactly what Bradley and I are. I tell people all the time, the only thing I am is an insurance agency owner that happens to have a podcast. That's it. I am the anti-thought leader in the insurance world of insurance. I make mistakes every day, probably more than most of the people listening to this show. And I own those mistakes and they're all my fault. So I wanted to have you on the show today. Bradley and I have been talking about having you on the show for probably the last six months. Yep. So it is very exciting to us to have you on this show today. And guys, today's topic that we're going to talk about is probably one of the hardest things in the world that you can do besides Navy SEAL training, and that is how to start a scratch agency. But before we do that, I want you to get in your DeLorean, and I want you to get in your time machine for just a second and go back 13 years and talk to our audience a little bit about how you got started in the business and kind of catch us up to the day. Oh man, I, for one, I, um, I'm humbled to be on because I think it's something, um, a scratch agency is one of those things that I think doesn't get a lot of conversation anymore. And I feel like it's almost a little bit taboo in our industry. So I'm super excited to talk about it because it's not pretty. Insurance is not sexy anyways, but starting an independent insurance agency from scratch is really just the epitome of hard. So I'm excited to have the opportunity not only to share it with you guys, but also give some tips and tricks on how it can be successful and how it's okay to struggle. Let's see, it's been roughly about 13 years. And I feel like so that way I don't bore everyone out there and giving my long insurance story. I've basically been an insurance agent my whole uh, adult life. So I started with State Farm. Um, I was a captive agent, learned that I was pretty decent at cold calling and marketing and that I loved it, which is weird, right? I mean, cold calling is not something that should be loved, but I really did like it. And uh, after roughly about five years of State Farm traveling over to a couple of different agencies, helping them grow their agencies, um, I made a move over to Allstate to, again, basically do the same thing. And after I was over there for um, about three to four years, I really kind of got tired of picking up the phone and having people tell me that their rates were going up and I couldn't do anything for them. So I was uh, basically make a really long story short. I was tired of being loyal to an insurance company mm. and really wanted to be loyal to my insurance customer instead of a carrier. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to start being loyal to my clients as opposed to a company. So that's when I decided to open uh, my scratch agency, which I always joke about because I was nine months pregnant when I decided to go ahead and do that and that you should make all major life decisions when you're nine months pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> no, no emotion so, involved um, in that at all. It, none, not even, not even a little. Um, no, I definitely jumped off the cliff and was like, I'm going to build my kite on the way down. But on the way down, it ended up being the best thing that ever happened. And it was, uh, let's see, out of the master bedroom of my home, I decided that I was going to open Integrity Insurance and that was in 2014. So in 2014, I opened the independent agency, and then I had another great idea that I was going to open a new niche company, um, Arizona Wedding Insurance, and I opened Arizona Wedding Insurance at the one-year anniversary of Integrity. So now we have both companies. We call them sister companies here at the agency, um, but we have both companies that go back and forth, and Arizona Wedding Insurance is more like um, my niche market, if you will. It provides a funnel for the main agency. I love that so much from a lead generation standpoint because mm -hmm. you're getting those people when they're getting married. Mm -hmm. There's yeah. so many other policies you can spin off of that. Oh, yeah. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever worked with a bride in any kind of capacity at that point, they are a different kind of level of intense. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> it's both really great and you're just the loyalty between the two of you that can be developed at the time of a huge life change like that 
is just, I mean, they'll never leave you. Connected spiritually. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's very vulnerable too, because a lot of times what happens is you're dealing with venues and you're dealing with photographers and you're dealing with all these people and the wedding insurance side, it's basically still new. So wedding insurance is not something that's even like really talked about. So as you're introducing that to venues and as you're introducing that to um, vendors in the wedding insurance space or the wedding putting on the grand show, if you will, as you're introducing that, people are more intrigued by the product. So since they've never heard of it before and it's such a niche, Mm -hmm. um, they're more apt to wanting to share it with, you know, their friends or anyone else in that same age bracket who's getting married. And I'm not going to lie. When I first saw that you were doing that, which was a few months ago, uh, there's about a 108% chance that I went to GoDaddy.com and searched Alabama wedding insurance to see if it was available. <laughs> Somebody's got it. Somebody has it. Hey, Aaron, I've got a question for you related to that, though. Are you selling the policy to the bride and groom, or are you selling it to the uh, the venue that they're having it in? You know, that's such a great question, and we'll probably spin a little bit more on this, too, as we start talking about like the workings of the Scratch Agency, but mm-hmm. honestly... A lot of people were initially turned off by this product because everyone can sell it. Every independent insurance agent can sell a wedding or a special event policy. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that a lot of people don't because they just look at it as the upfront commission, right? Mm-hmm. They look at it and it's like a $350 policy that's being sold to the bride and groom. You make like 35 40 bucks a pop on it. No big thing. So yes, we are selling that specific product to the bride and the groom, the wedding insurance policy. But the Arizona Wedding Insurance as a company specializes and has branded itself to um, basically assist in any part of the wedding workings, if you will. So like a photographer, um, the venue itself, those are all things. If you go to ArizonaWeddingInsurance.com, there are two tabs. One, if you're a bride and a groom, and the other side is if you actually are part of the magic that makes the wedding day happen. And you can click on that. And, and we brand for both sides, both the bride and the groom and for the vendor side. Gotcha. We've sold a few special event type policies in our agency, but uh, not something that we do on a daily basis. And man, I tell you, you cracked the code on that. So let's talk a little bit about all the 250,000 insurance agents that are listening to this podcast right now. I think we had one six weeks ago that emailed us and said that our podcast had changed his life and it was a Friday afternoon and he was about to walk into his principal agent and, uh, go ahead and hand in his resignation letter. So let's talk a little bit about that move from captive over to Indy and starting that scratch agency when you've got that Oprah Winfrey money of zero dollars and zero (laughs) policies. Give our audience just some meat and potatoes like first day out of the gate. I've read your blog, guys. Or even before that. Yeah, yeah. Creating business plans and stuff like that. But I've read her blog, guys. If you're thinking about going scratch and and maybe you're with an agency right now and you're going to jump off the deep end of the pool, please, for the love of God, go to agencynation.com and read her blog because... We'll put that in the show notes. I don't think there's anything I've ever read that I agreed with more than everything that you said on that. And it is exactly what I did out of the gate. So... Let's just go back. Before we open the doors, what are the things that you would encourage these guys and girls to do on the front end before we get to that point where we've got a computer set up and we're writing policies? Number one, out the gate, what I did was I had to develop a new mantra for the way that I thought about business because you can be a really great insurance agent and Mm -hmm. you can be a really great producer as you're making the transition from producer to agency owner, if that's what you're doing, or if you're going from like a family-owned agency to a new, whatever your case may be. You have to develop a new mantra when you go into the scratch agency world of, if this is not going to make me immediate cash, if I'm not going to have revenue for this, Mm -hmm. it doesn't fit 
for my agency. Mm -hmm. So I had no money, no policies, as you said. So for me, I had to do away with the mind frame of I need to have a storefront, I need to have this, and I needed to get rid of my shiny object syndrome. So immediately that had to be done. And I say that because I was talking to some agents about this previously. And I think a lot of times what we see on like social media and in the industry space, especially right now, because everything is, you know, you have these new conferences and these new groups and everyone just looks like they're just beasts in this industry. But what you have to keep in mind is that is their highlight reel. That's their, this is what's worked for me. And so I try to be as transparent as possible in my blog posts in both part one and part two of that scratch agency blog is I had nothing. And there was a lot of failures that came along with being a scratch agency owner because I was a good insurance agent, but I had no concept on how to run a business. So I would right out the gate, do away with the mind frame of you need to have your agency look like this in order to be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, You can function off of no income and you can, um, or off of no policies to start or off of no um, loan, if you will, no business credit line, all of that things. You can do it. It's just hard. It's just, you got to put in the, you got to put in the work. So just keep in mind when you go in, your mantra needs to be, I don't have money for that. I don't have money for that. How can I make this in my, in a cheap way? How can I do this for free? When you jumped off the hot dive and you, you know, you left, you handed in your resignation, you walked out the door, you started this process of getting to the point where you could start selling policies on your own and you created your own agency. Mm-hmm. Had you saved up an amount of money that's that you, such, like a Nestle? That's such a great question. Yeah. No, that's such a great question. I actually, um, I don't get that often enough. I, I want agency owners to ask me that more often. So when I decided to make the jump, it actually was pretty much decided for me. Mm-hmm. I had been working for an agent and with an agent for quite some time. And basically he had come in and let me know that it wasn't going to work out as far as my pay periods were concerned. Um, I wasn't going to be getting uh, like the same as what I expected. I was mm-hmm. kind of forced into a corner that had happened for years, not even just by this agency owner. But ultimately, when you work for someone else and you're kind of making somebody else's dream happen, you're you're kind of at their mercy, right? So as I um, was having that happen, I really didn't have much to fall back on. I mean, maybe like a month or two of salary if I needed to, but truth be told, that's nothing. That's peanuts in the grand scheme of things. So what I always like to tell agents is when you're getting ready to start a scratch agency, you need to be prepared that you're not going to make anything for three months. Mm. That's not to say that I didn't get a check in the first month of my agency. That just means that you need to be prepped for three months when you go in that you're not going to take anything from that business at all. You're not going to have anything coming in between carriers, I don't know about you guys and your experience, but in all of my carriers, not every carrier likes to pay out at the beginning. (laughs) You got to wait a little bit until they issue. So three months in, um, I was seeing something a little bit more um, of just consistent, Mm -hmm. not anywhere near what I was making previously, but it was just more like, okay, I know I'm going to have checks coming in from these carriers. I know this is when I was starting to get a little bit more well-versed in how they were paying out. In terms of going from captive to indie, I'm going to assume that you probably did not have relationships with these carriers. It wasn't like you could pick up the phone and call the marketing rep for travelers and say, hey, I'm ready to ready to get going now, Carol. Uh, how did you do that? That's one of the things you hear a lot of uh, potential scratch agents say is, man, I'm having a hard yeah. time getting contracts. So I worked with an independent insurance agency owner here locally um, before I decided to go out on my own. So no, I didn't really have relationships with the carriers, but I did have a tremendous relationship with a managing general agency. Mm. And I reached out to them and I asked them, hey, this is something I want to do. I'm willing to go direct. 
I just need to get something to get going. What are your suggestions? And I kind of leaned in on them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by no way am I sponsored by them, anything like that. But just so that way people can kind of get a sense for a resource. I mentioned a few different carriers or MGAs or aggregates and clusters in my blog. But the Obby group is one of the groups that are available for agents who are looking to have immediate access right away to write policies. Mm -hmm. And that was the route that I decided to go because I didn't have time to go to Progressive and say, hey, Progressive, Mm -hmm. take a bet on me. Let's see what we can do. And Safeco and all these big carriers, it's very hard to get appointments through. Mm -hmm. And then eventually what happens is once you're affiliated with an MGA or once you're affiliated with somebody who's been doing it for a while, you do have options, of course, depending on the MGA that you're working with to go direct or to start getting direct contracts with um, outside carriers. It just really depends on who you're with. But that was the route that worked best for me because I had relationships that were sending me referral business and that um, like in the lending space and other, you know, captive agents that I was working with that I knew that if I did not have access to policies, I would be losing a potential, God only knows, thousands of dollars of Mm -hmm. referrals that I would have access to if I just found a carrier that could write them right away. And you said the Augie group, did they have like an aggregator that you were using? Is that what happened? So the couple of different things I knew that I needed. And and, and a lot of this is, again, like I mentioned previously, based on failures. So a lot of things have to go wrong for you to finally get, um, I try not to be a slow learner, but let's be honest, guys, sometimes that happens. So um, (laughs) I try to find things that I know I need to function. For me, I'm nothing without my agency management system. Mm. So with the Avi group, I knew that they were on with um, AMS 360. Mm. I knew that they had the PL Raider. I knew that we had a lot of different, um, I had a lot of different things that were available to me right away that I knew I needed to be successful. Mm -hmm. So um, they, they allow me access to, I mean, we're in 42 states now. So they allow me access to states that i at the beginning would never have had business being in if it wasn't for my affiliation with them. Mm -hmm. So they were good to me. They still are very good to me. So we've got our system. We've got our, how we're going to quote. We've decided not to go out and and sign a three-year lease agreement on a class A office space at $3,000 a month, which by the way, every time I drive by one of those in like a class A office space in some city, I always want to go in and kick the agency owner in the nuts. When I see that, I'm like, why are you (laughs) doing that? What what are, are you insane? Anyway, don't get me off on a tangent, but we kept our expenses down. We didn't go out and buy the $8,000 laptop computer and the $4,000 printer and sign five-year Good. lease agreements. And we, we worked out of our house. We uh, I'm assuming based on money that was or was not saved, it wasn't like you went out and hired two CSRs. So you're... You're, no. you're at this point, you are literally dialing for dollars. You are the one yeah. on the phone talking to people and getting, you know, getting the business in the door. Yeah. Um, no, there definitely was, was not resources. And to be honest, I'm so thankful there wasn't resources mm-hmm. because now that there is resources years later, it helps me see what's actually important to running my agency mm-hmm. and what's not. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times, and I say this as the most warm-hearted um, agency owner on the planet, so keep that in mind as I say the next thing, I feel like there is a disservice to agents who come in and actually have to um, pick up another agent's way of life. So whether it's like an agency acquisition or whether you're inheriting a book of business, I feel like there's such a disservice to these new agents because they just don't know any better. And a lot of times what happens is I'm seeing agencies aren't doing very well financially because they think that they need to have, you know, I I grew up in the state farm world to where every $300,000 you needed to have a CSR. Right. And I now as an agency owner, I'm like, well, that's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. There's no way. That's just crazy. Mm -hmm. So 
for me, if that person who is working for me, a producer, for example, if they can't sell business, if they can't sell policies, we are now doing disservice to the customer because if they're just servicing or if they're not actually looking for those potential buying opportunities, then they're not growing the agency. More importantly, someone else is going to retain our client instead of us. So um, a really long, long tangent there, but uh, but yeah, no. So so having the customer service way of life, which is not an option for me. So I had to learn how to. I always call it embrace the suck. Like just really, just <laughs> mm. you had to learn to like live in it for a little while. In that I was a producer, an agency owner, and a service person for right. a long time before right. I even hired my first producer. Well, and let me say this, guys, to the two hundred and fifty thousand insurance agents listening to this, I'm going to tell you another reason you won't, you don't want to have an agency handed to you on a silver platter. You don't have a story to tell. Erin Nutting has a story to tell. She's been to the bottom. And she's come up from the bottom. Scott Howell's been to the bottom. He's come up from the bottom. And I have a very compelling story to tell about that. And you do as well. And I think agents that get daddy to hand them a $15 million book of business or, you know, somebody that goes and buys an agency, that story is just not as compelling to me. Would you agree with that? I think, you know, I'm grateful for mine just because I know what it's like to be at the bottom and have to work for it. And I would just never take it for granted. At the same time, I think everyone has their own struggle. I'm very good friends with a lot of agency owners that are either, you know, like I said, inheriting a book of business. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones I think that are the most challenging because they're getting all the bad habits. They're Mm -hmm. getting all the old ways of doing business and all of trying to integrate the old with the new. I love my story just because I'll never take it for granted. I'll never take what I've built for granted. But I think that it's just unique. You know, Mm -hmm. I think um, it's, Females in the insurance space are new as it is, mm-hmm. let alone um, one who thinks they have business playing around in a digital space and then coming into niche marketing and then going to teach other agents. Like I think, I think everyone's got a unique story regardless of where where they start. Yeah, and I'll say this about that too. And you, I think you're exactly right. I think in some cases, and we just got through talking to Mike Crowley, and I was telling him, I said, "Man, I'm not so sure that's not the hardest way to go because there's that expectation." relative to being a third generation agency owner expectations high expectations you know the 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 navigating the politics of family which is as we all know here at christmas is very difficult to do but i'll tell you one thing one thing that i've always been blessed and very grateful of is when i started my career with state farm 10 years ago i was an associate agent and i've always been very grateful for that because I feel like I'm able to see things through the lens of an associate agent that's in my office better than I would have otherwise if I had just not ever done that. Does that make sense? Absolutely, because I think it's the same thing. I think I call it producer, someone who works under another agency owner. Is that is that what you're talking about as far as referencing the associate yes, agent? Absolutely, yes. Okay, yes, absolutely. I feel like there's a special kind of crazy for someone who works as a producer and then can go into being an agency owner role Mm. because you understand both the aspects of service every day Mm. and selling Mm. on an everyday in the trenches level. Mm. But then when you transition that into an agency owner, it gives you the opportunity to be a good boss too. And there's a lot of agents who I think corporate has bred. So if you go into like those captive agencies and they breed them in these like little incubators in the corporate office and then send them into the agency owner Mm. world, it just doesn't work. It Mm. doesn't fit. 
So I do. I completely agree with you in that it's a different perspective coming mm-hmm. in as a coming from a producer role into an agency owner role. Yeah, in the Marine Corps, we had uh, guys that would be enlisted Marines, and then they would go to officer candidate school. They were called Mustangs, and those guys were the most revered in the Marine Corps because any you know word would get out pretty quick when you had one join your unit. Hey, that guy's a Mustang. Mustang meaning. He's been enlisted. He knows what we go through. Those guys were very revered for that, and I think um, that's kind of what we are. We're Mustangs in, in a sense. So, so where are you I at feel now? Like we should make that like an official title. I yeah. feel like that needs to be like I'm going to put that on my business card. Maybe. <laughs> I'm a Mustang. I love it. Uh, so, where are you at now? Have you staffed up, or are you still uh, one lady show? No, I'm not a one lady show anymore. Um, I am not. A, I will tell you this. I get, still get a lot of. Uh, a lot of flack for this. I don't have a full-time designated CSR. Mm -hmm. It's just not, I don't know if that will ever be my gig. Any producer that works in my agency will produce and service and and does produce and service. But um, I don't have like, I have, I have a lot of friends who have told me this for a couple of years now, and it might just be my budget. It might just be because we're still four years new into this space. I just don't have the need for a full-time CSR at this Mm -hmm. point in the Mm -hmm. game. We are a hundred percent digital agency, as I'm sure that you've read in my in my blogs, meaning that everything that we do is basically online. I don't have customers walk in, I don't do business with customers in person. So that definitely takes care of a lot of servicing issues that most people would have. Everything is automatic withdrawal or email based. If you don't have an email, we typically don't work with that customer, not because that, you know, we're shunning them but because I'm actually not a good agency fit for them and we can't service them properly. Mm-hmm. So um, for the most part, we really don't have a ton of service at the office. And any service that we do have, um, I really try to lean in and do like the Safe Co Gold program or like the Travers CCC program. I do a lot of um, leaning into call centers. Gotcha. Has that hurt you at all? Has there been a large percentage of clients that you haven't been able to help because of that? Or has it been not that big of a deal? Great question. Um, It's really not that big of a deal. And the reason it's not a big deal, though, is not just because I think if you really did use service centers and didn't appropriately condition your clients to use them, that it would be a big deal in your agency. But what I like to do to position it is that I actually pay for the additional service so that way my customers can have 24-hour customer service. It's all about the way that you shape and phrase things. It's the onboarding. it is. It's all about the onboarding process. And we are, we said we were going to talk a little bit about automation. This might be a good segue for sure. uh, me, how how I actually do this with customers is through my onboarding. Um, thank you for joining the agency. We welcome you in my series of events that happens when you actually do onboard a client. One of those emails is, hey, you might want to bookmark this information because it's going to be pertinent to your policy if in the event something happens. Basically on there, it lays out claims information, what to expect next. And one of those things is, is that although our agency doesn't function 24 hours a day, you're not going to call and get Aaron at 1.30 a.m. You can call this number because we care enough to give you 24-hour service. Mm -hmm. So it's all about the way that you position it and um, making sure that you condition your clients how you want them to contact you. I, I will say this to Aaron. I'm a, I'm a marketer first and an insurance agent second. I enjoy taking a look at other businesses and seeing what they're doing from a marketing, branding, you know, standpoint. Sure. I look at a lot of insurance agents, Facebook pages, websites, Instagram. You have my favorite website in all of insurance land. Um, I absolutely love your website. Mic drop. Oh, just, just hang up. Just hang up right now, Aaron. That's a that's a great way to end this. 
I'm kidding. We'll just we'll just say goodbye now. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so I can't take any of the credit from my website. I I will say that is like third. No, that's fourth fourth generation website. We started out with a very basic template in walking through like just basic customer needs. Right. And then we started making it more about, uh, I, I started blogging a little bit more. Mm. I started getting more um, intentional with my right. blogging. And then we started doing quote videos and proposals, and we knew that we needed a little bit more of a robust site. And so that's actually a custom site, and I can't take any credit for that. I basically just said, okay, yeah, you can put my face on it. That's totally fine. And Advisor Evolved designed the, the rest of it. <laughs> Do you want to give a shout out to who, who did design your fourth generation website since it obviously is so good? That's actually so Advisor Evolved is the one that made my website. And so they did not just my custom site, but they actually built the template sites before that. And they also built um, Arizona Wedding Insurance, which is also a custom site. At some point, I'm going to go to my web developer and, and pull my phone up and say, I want that. I just want that. And you said, you <laughs> well, said, you, ad, can't, ad, you can't have it. So, <laughs> yeah. so you said advi- advisorevolve.com is the one that did it? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Advisor, like insurance advisor. So uh-huh. advisorevolved.com. Here's my biggest question, and I think most important question, selfishly, because it relates to me. You've got four beautiful babies. Four beautiful babies. I do. And I do. One, yeah. one of my weaknesses that I'm going to have to really work on in 2019 is time management. Because, uh, you know, I see all these titans of the insurance world, the Chris Paradisos and the Mike Stromsos and the Jeff Roys and you know, when I get through visiting with those guys, I always start looking for that truck driving school to think about maybe doing another career because I, I realize, I just realize how inadequate and how inferior I am to those people. I, I just do. And time management is one of my weaknesses. So what do you do with four beautiful babies? Obviously, they take time to focus, be, be able to focus own insurance and insurance-related things, even though you are 100% digital, how do you manage all that? What do you do? Well, first, I have to speak to, like, I've listened to Jeff Roy talk probably, once you get on the speaker circuit at conferences, you tend to hear, like, the same Mm -hmm. insurance speakers often. I think I've heard him speak maybe five or six times now in our travels together. And every single time I hear him, I feel a little bit dumber. Because I feel like... This man is on such another level. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, you know, and his wife, she's one of my mentors. She's just a phenomenal woman. Mm-hmm. If anything I've gotten out of their relationship, God bless Jeff because he's tremendous. But it's her. Mm-hmm. She's the one who's behind the scenes and she's the one who's helping manage so that way Jeff can actually do what he needs to do and speak his passion. And she's taking care of the team. And I just think that's a, just a tremendous husband and wife. So let me stop you right there. I just spent three days with them about a month ago, and I almost said verbatim exactly what you just said to her face. Yeah, she is just such a... In fact, we um, at Elevate, you were mentioning Elevate earlier, they received a... I was one of the judges on a panel that they received the Safeco 
um, Agent of the Future Award. Mm-hmm. And they, it was it was so well-deserved because the things that they're doing in their agency are so ahead of the insurance time that um, it's just really neat. I, I don't know if that will ever fit in my agency, but just to know that it's a possibility mm-hmm. is just something that it allows you to just keep continuing to chase. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I think the world of them. I love them both. Uh, upcoming episode, this is going to be, this is going to blow everybody's minds. We've got Jeff Roy and Seth from Zinc Insurance coming on the same episode. Um, and Scott oh, and I, no, Scott, you, should, you should prepare for that. Scott and I are just going to shut up and let them talk. Yeah, they're both intense. I've heard them both speak. I've heard them both speak together, actually. And um, you'll love it. Yeah, exactly what you said. Just sit back, let them talk. It'll be fun. Well, hell, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to love it because when they get through speaking, I'm going to be down at Walmart applying for a greeter <laughs> position. Well, the, the first time, nobody knows this, the first time we interviewed Jeff, he got done and he ended on talking about blockchain and Scott threw his headphones down and said, he has no idea how smart he is. He doesn't even know how far ahead of us he is. But uh, to add to Scott's point, you know, how, how do you manage it all? I have a lot of help. I am not one to be prideful by any means and say that I don't have a ton of help. I mean, I have a nanny who's wonderful. So my two oldest daughters are in high school. And then I have a huge eight and a half year age gap between my like second to oldest and then my son who's five and then my daughter who just turned four last week and she is just a beast. And so with all of them, I feel like the best thing that I do is actually just acknowledging the fact that my life is crazy. It's just, I mean, you, if you read any of my blogs, if you, there, I wrote a blog a few years ago, it's called the millennial mom bridging the gap between fruit snacks and rate increases. And that ultimately is my life in that I am a mess most days and it is crazy and I don't have it all together. And anytime you see me on social media or speaking at these big events, like that is my highlight reel. That is not real life. Real life is, you know, the mess behind it. And that, you know, there are nights where I do have to work 16 hour days and that that's not, you know, you fight the mom guilt and you fight the partner guilt and you, you feel like you're losing in every aspect. But as far as what I do is I try to carve out like an hour to an hour and a half a day where it's non-negotiable me time. And whether that's for me, it's like CrossFit or for me, it's working out. And if I do that, I at least feel better and a clear mind to go in and do the rest of my day. And then that way I can be a sane person for everyone else in my life, which more than likely, I mean, it doesn't work out that way all the time, but I would like to think in a perfect world it would. But I have a lot of routine in place. That's probably my best. uh, That's probably my best advice for moms out there or for anyone really, dads, anyone who's trying to do the business in the family game is if you just get your time blocking set up to where from like 5.30 to 6.30 a.m. I'm doing this and then 7 a.m. to, you know, 8 a.m. I'm doing this. But it's truly the only way that I would be successful. And if it wasn't for my routine, I would be a lost puppy. Time blocking. That's a Mike Stromso move time, right time there. Time blocking is, is one of my favorite things mm. in the entire world. I don't know how anyone would do it without time blocking. And if someone knows how to do it without time blocking, that would be so great. I hope that they tell me because if it wasn't for my schedule and my routine and everything that I'm just used to on a daily basis, I would go banana sandwiches. Mm. So, Aaron, b- before we let you go, and to the 250,000 that are watching this right now, listening to this, go read her blog at agencynation.com. Can you put it in show notes for I, us? I will. Okay. I will. Yeah, I've already sent but the email. Before we get off the phone, I would like for you to a- answer one question for me. If you could, okay. If you could speak to one of these agents that's listening to this right now that is about to, January 1 of 2019, go out on their own into the big bad world and start a scratch insurance agency, what is the best piece of advice? that you could give them? I would say... I'm, te- I'm teasing. No. I'm teasing. 
<laughs> you need to hire way more than Manny, maybe like an emotional life support coach. Exactly. I, don't know. Um, exactly. I would say it's going to be okay. It might not seem like it's going to be okay. And you might have negative dollars in the bank and you might not know where your next commission is going to come from and your referrals might be slipping and you might be dealing with cancellations and all of these things that in the insurance world we face, but that it is going to be okay. And that if you put the hard work in, I promise you 100% that you will get it back because that is what it takes to be successful in the insurance space is time in the door. It's not who you know. It's not who you're connected with. Stay away from the glitz and the, you know, shiny object syndrome and just do you and it is going to be okay. So you're a 100% digital agency and I'm not so sure all of us won't be there probably sooner than we think we will. What is your perfect demographic for a 100% digital insurance agency? That's a great question. I feel like a lot of insurance agents don't even know what their demographic is. And I say this all the time, but once you successfully create a market for everyone, you've successfully created a market for no one. And so for me, between the age range of 35, even 35 to 45 age range is a lot. That's really broad. I would say my probably my average client is between 37 to 41. That's usually my sweet spot as far as uh, people who love working digitally, as well as people who like working with video proposals and up to speed, like instant education, if you will, knowing that they could go onto my website and live chat me or schedule a um, digital appointment, things like that. So 3741 is probably my sweet spot for my customers and my agency. And high income earners are, are kind of your, your jam as well. More, you know, yes more, no. more educated, I would assume can do that, you know, probably has the, the brand new iPhone and knows how to do DocuSign and all this other stuff. Would that be an accurate statement or not? Uh, yes and no. You'd be so surprised. A lot of the way that I retain a lot of customers is I'm actually teaching them a lot. So they won't leave because they are learning mm. things from me. So I have a lot of customers who maybe have never used an app. I love Progressive. I think Progressive is so advanced as far as their apps and their tech and all that jazz. But I have a lot of customers who maybe have not been with a company who you can actually go down and download an app. So their first time with Progressive out the gate, I'm like, here, let me show you how to do this. And then they're sold. They don't ever want to leave because I was the one, I was like a gateway drug, if you will. I was like a gateway to the rest of technology. But um, I feel like I have customers who are very well-versed and who do like to work with me because I am tech-friendly. The quote videos, that's like a whole different podcast day, but that actually impresses people more than anything else. But for the most part, I have like first-time home buyers a lot in my agency. So people that I can educate and make it user-friendly, those are probably the majority of my business. I would say 60 to 70% of mine are like the first-time really give a crap insurance consumers, whereas you know, like there's that fine window where people actually just have insurance because they need to have it. And then all of a sudden they have this shift to where they like are curious and want to make sure they have enough. I'm like in that small window of I'm getting them in that transitional phase from being a first time home buyer to actually having kids. And especially with Arizona wedding insurance being a niche market for mm-hmm. me. Well, Aaron, I wish I had more time. Please have her back on the podcast we like will. next we will. week. Like next <laughs> week. <laughs> we will. You know, I think I'm going to call you, Aaron. I think I'm going to call you and talk a little bit more about this 100% digital agency stuff. I'm I'm digging that. It's a lot of fun. I unfortunately I wish I had some glamorous way of saying this is why I just you know decided to do this, but the truth is is just that was my option. So it's been um, it's been a lot of fun for me, and I've really now as I do have more resources, both connections and monetarily, I've really had to remember my focus mm-hmm. as digital and and fight against the easy you know shiny object syndrome that I'm yeah. so terrible at fighting well, against. And I was I was. 
talking to Nick Ayers uh, about two weeks ago, and he's essentially doing the same thing. And he was saying, mm-hmm. you know, because he doesn't have this high overhead, it allows him to do other things from a yep. budgeting standpoint that he couldn't do if he had a $3,000 a month rent. Right. Well, and he used to have one. And yeah. I remember having that. Uh, Nick is also, you know, someone who I've heard him speak, I don't even know how many times, good friend of mine. Right. I feel like I remember having that conversation with him a while ago in that overhead, keep it down, 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 whether it's your building, whether it's your staff, whatever it is, if you don't need to spend it to be successful, then you shouldn't need to spend it. And I remember him making that transition from having the agency now to a digital space. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm pumped to see all of the things that he's done too. He's definitely making a stamp on the industry. That is for sure. Aaron, I've got one more question. I'm gonna let you go. I promise. (laughs) One Um, more question. Last question. So overhead down, keep it tamped down. Don't, get shiny object syndrome. Is there any advertising or marketing that you do spend money on that you feel like is so important that you're like, man, I'm sorry, I got to do that. I really love to give back. So I'm an ambassador board member for Uh Make-A-Wish. And I really, I don't even look at that as marketing dollars. Uh That is probably one of the things that I just so happen to get marketing exposure out of. That's kind of a, you got to find a slot to give back. As far as like, I could easily say that I have spent money on like Facebook advertising and social media advertising. The truth is though, is that when you blog or when you create content, you need to do something with it. So I would say the biggest thing for me is if I'm going to spend the time and do something with a blog, if I'm going to write out a 2,500 word blog, like I did with the scratch agency articles, I need to do something with them. So anything revolving around making those an ad Mm. or making traffic go to them, I'm pretty much okay with spending money on that kind of thing. Um, I'm not okay with spending money on like little things to have my name featured in certain events. I'm not okay with spending money to buy promotional products. It's just not my thing. But anything that will allow people to generate traffic to my website based off of a piece of content that I've created, I can pretty much justify that. Did not sound like at the beginning of this conversation when we talked about fourth generation web development and agency management systems in terms of knowing what you want and being able to go get that, those are things that you don't mind spending money on relative um, if it's something you know you need. Right. And that's now, that's like four years in. Keep in mind at the beginning, I could spend money on nothing. So Mm -hmm. generating business and generating marketing and generating leads, that was all done from organic traffic of me actually hitting the pavement, Mm -hmm. going to networking events, reaching out to lenders, reaching out to referral sources. That was how I generated business at the beginning of my agency and still now to this day. But now that I have a little bit more resources, I'm able to actually market a little bit more. But even now, I'm super cheap when it comes to wanting to spend a ton of money. I wish I was more affluent in that I could just say, I'm going to spend $1,000 on this campaign this month. But the truth is, unless I'm seeing um, a big ROI from something over Mm -hmm. like a consistent 90-day period... I'm usually pretty apprehensive about Mm -hmm. wanting to do it again. Mm -hmm. So I believe in the good old fashioned, like networking, referral relationships. My idea when I started the agency was to be a hundred percent referral based Mm -hmm. business. And Mm -hmm. I am. So I think that only comes from relationships. I love it. We're going to end it right there. Guys, listen to me. Keep your expenses down. 
250,000 insurance agents out there. If you're going out and starting a scratch agent, hell, I don't care if you've been doing it for 20 years. You need to spend 2019 from now till January 1 of 2019. Let me tell you what everybody that's listening to this podcast needs to do. You need to take a good, hard look in the mirror and you need to go ahead and audit your agency and see what you're wasting money on. I'm talking to myself right now, by the way. I'm not talking to any of you. (laughs) And you need to decide what are you getting that ROI from? Do you really need this? If I'm starting a scratch agency, don't go out and buy a brand new 2019 GMC Sierra truck. You need to do what Scott Howell did and buy a 2002 candy apple red Honda Accord with 200,000 miles on it with the damn roof peeling off of it. That's what you need. And so, you know, Erin has done this. She has the playbook for you at agencynation.com. Go look at her blog. She kind of walks through this step by step. I hope this helped everybody. Erin, I love you. I am so deeply appreciative of you being on this podcast today. Guys, listen to me. Rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk and go out into the big bad world and go sell insurance for your family, for your kids. Go write good business for the agencies that you represent. Go write good business for the companies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love you. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks, Eric. Guys, you are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. We'll be right back real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at iprotectins at gmail.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to bradleyflowersinsurance.com or email him at bradley at sarahlandinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to being with you again real soon on the next episode of the Insurance Guys. Take care.